Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your host, Patrick Egan, and let's say hello and welcome, as we always do, to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Patrick, and man, I tell you what, you have got that intro down to the T, don't you? You didn't even take a breath that whole time. Congratulations. Thanks. It only took me five years. <laughs> Slow learner. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, you know, today we're gonna this is a conversation with Drone Pilot Inc. and we're gonna talk about what you're doing. Um, you know, I was at uh, you you came, you were in town. We went to the Cal OES uh, had a symposium, and you spoke, and you know, you know, you just you commented yes, or comp- complimented me on the opening of the podcast, but, you know, watching your presentation is pretty smooth. I think you've got it down um, and, and how you convey what you're doing and what you've done. It's pretty impressive. But before we get into all of that, um, let's, you know, as we always do, the customary prefunctory um, review of, of the news of late and anything out there catch your attention. Yes, absolutely. Did you see the announcement that KFC is leveraging the drone industry? Kentucky Fried Chicken, did you see it? I didn't read the story. I saw the headline, but, you know, now you're talking. Bucket of chicken, maybe some biscuits, um, some, you know, some slaw. The box that the chicken comes in can be converted to a drone. That's genius. Well, why didn't I come up with that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess, I, you know. guess that's not thinking out the box, as they say, Mr. Egan. Yeah, I guess so. That one's good. But uh, any anything else uh, catch your attention? Well, you know, the, the real issue that we're having now is that uh, we're, we're being stonewalled, you know, with uh, everybody's throwing up excuses and why we can't get uh, waivers and why COAs are taking so long. And, you know, what is the deal here, Patrick? It's the same old tripe. We've got guys that are, you know, that have submitted their 29 waiver for the 107.29 for night operations, and they just keep getting rejected. Have you heard of anyone that's gotten a 29 here lately? No, I heard they were going to put the brakes on, too. And, uh, you know, there's a few things going on. Um, you know, Lance, 
was uh, when they were shut down the government and the funding. Lance was shut down. Fly Services was not shut down. Um, you know, I, I, I've been uh, thinking about all of this, and really I think, you know, so we've got a new acting administrator, and the dude should back it up, take one step back, hold on everything and kind of see what's going on here. I, I think there's uh there, there's, there's a mess. Um, I don't, I've heard that the, the, the waiver thing was going to totally slow down. Um, they're just overwhelmed. Then there's the Lance thing. The other thing that plays into that, that nobody's talking about is the air traffic controllers union and how, uh, air traffic controllers are going to get paid for servicing aircraft and things like that. Lots going on behind the scene. Again, transparency is missing. Um, and that's why I think there's all these questions out here. The other thing, that drone, um, whatever, the, the drone pilot program thing, I guess there's trouble in paradise. The dip? Here, the, <clears throat> yes, dippity-doo-da-day. Um, I'm, what I'm hearing is that some of the qualifications and, and, and uh, proposals uh, let's say the abilities may have been overstated a bit, you know, and I, I know you're probably both shocked and taken aback. Just flabbergasted by that little development because we all know that the world lives on vapor, you know, vaporware, vapor, hardware, you name it. Another interesting thing that I'm having, so, you know, I started uh, cranking up on the uh, Unmanned Systems Business Expo, and I want to do a whole day of flying in San Francisco and demos, counter UAS, whatever else. And uh, I nobody's really interested in demoing their stuff. Kind of, I find that kind of interesting. You know, here's a whole industry that's begging to fly. No, I'd, I'd rather just talk about what we're doing than uh, actually demonstrate. I think that's kind of peculiar. But, I wonder uh, hey, hey, if Patrick. when you say... Well, John, you're here. Go ahead. Go I ahead. think John's on board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've, uh, we've seen that. We've seen when we offer a presentation or a demonstration for a manufacturer to come out and demo their product, what we're seeing, and that's happened now the last, what, half a dozen, Gene, that we've actually seen, is nothing ever performs as they say it's going to perform. Uh, we've had yeah. a, a couple local ones that during the training, during the instructor's training on how to operate their system, it doesn't work as, uh, as they say it would work. And we spend mm. half the time going through uh, trying to fix what they said is supposed to work and during the training program. So yeah, that, there's probably a uh, a real issue there with people not wanting to demonstrate their products because of lack of ability to perform a demonstration uh, without a hiccup. Well, you know, even last year we did uh, we did a uh, little bit of it. We did like more of a demo morning, um, and I will say, you know, I've done demos for the FAA before, and I mean things have definitely changed. But, um, you know, you come with your A game. If your system doesn't work, if you have a mishap or a hiccup, you might as well just close your company, change the name, move on to something <laughs> else. Um, you know, I mean, there's still people that remember, um, you know, in 2008 or nine, uh, I had the Galaxy Blimp guys come and demo at um, 
at Quantico, Virginia. We were uh, there for the, the, the benefit. Actually, it was 2009. It was right after the inauguration. And they had their blimp there, a 60-footer, and they had an engine failure, which it, it wasn't even a crash. The thing bounced off the ground like a, a beach ball. But uh, to this day, people at the FAA still remember that, you know, nine years ago. So my point with it is, is but, you know, they came with their A game. It was, uh, unfortunately, since we were, we were on the Marine base there, um, we couldn't use the setup the night before. You had to do it the morning of, which was kind of hard to do uh, for a lot of these people. But anyway, the point with it was, what I'm seeing in the drone community, when they come and do a demonstration, it's wheels off. Stuff's not charged, uh, you know, software's not updated. I mean, it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. I, I, I just couldn't even believe it. So, and I think, you know, when we get into the law enforcement deal um, or let's say life safety or whatever else, even um, let's say more interesting because um, I think there's more at stake. And that, that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of gets me into the, I don't, I don't want to beat up on DJI. Everybody thinks they're, they're trying to paint me as like, I don't like the Chinese and DJI. But uh, the Aeroscope, I had a big problem with Aeroscope and the claims that they made when they, they launched it in D.C. They knew that it didn't, it didn't work as advertised. I've talked to some law enforcement people that have seen the demo. They say uh, it doesn't work on all models. Uh, does not, the range is not 10 kilometers. Uh, there's really nothing you can do. It only works on, on DJI products, certain models of those. Which I, I um, you know, I was beating up on DJI, uh, some of their representatives. I just said, you can't, that's like selling a law enforcement agency. Hey, we, we got this deal on uh, squad cars. They only run 50% of the time, but they're cheap. You know, you want to buy any? Or how about a gun that works 30% of the time? What do you think? And I mean, how do you think that'd go over, John? Yeah, it, it doesn't cut it. <laughs> it doesn't cut it at all. <laughs> no. So, you know, people are looking for solutions, uh, you know, but when you're, when you get into this field, you got to talk about the real thing. And that's, that's one of the reasons I'm having you guys on here. I don't want to get too far down the road because I, you know, the podcast is conversation with Drove Pilot Inc. And the reason I wanted to talk to you guys uh, was mainly because I saw uh, Gene speak. Was that last week or two weeks ago already, Gene? That was last week. <laughs> okay. Well, it's all a blur, but, um, you know, there's there's something for an empirical experience, and that's kind of that's really what I want to talk about here today. Um, and then, you know, so John, I know you were a little you were a little late, uh, but better late than never. But maybe you could uh, give the listeners. I know listeners kind of know about Gene, and I'm going to have him give a quick rundown. But maybe you could give us a little bit of a background on yourself, what you've been up to, your career, um, and how you got into the drone thing. Absolutely. Well, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, that's it's awesome. I know you've been uh, Gene's uh, old school to this. Uh, I'm a little new, <laughs> getting into it. But uh, I've been in. I've been flying something uh, pretty much uh, since I was a little kid. Really got into RC operations uh, heavily, probably about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, I've been a police officer for 21 years. Uh, I've been in the military. I actually graduated high school and went right into the military after duty and spent 14 years in the military with my last six years as part of a weapons of mass destruction civil support team where they specialize in chemical, biological, radiological response. And I, I got some good experience there. I was uh, attached to the bomb squad as 
chemical biological uh, specialist for my police department in, uh, in, in the Austin region. And I got a lot of experience with robotics and knew that robotics and in particular uh, UAS operations when it comes to multi-rotors would change public safety. So I started playing around. I was always doing fixed wings. I was putting cameras uh, on fixed wings for, for years. I started getting into the multi-rotors and started messing with the K-boards, uh, multi-wees, and then actually purchased the very first rollout of the NASA, uh, DJI's first flight controller. And I got the first uh, plug-in GPS to it, and I knew this system would change public safety with its capabilities. I, I flew some helicopters. That this experience level uh, was very difficult to make it a very widely used technology, but the multi-rotor and what the NASA did, DJI's NASA did, was make it a little more simpler for everyday patrol officers, everyday law enforcement, and public safety to operate these. And that was a game changer. Mm-hmm. So I started, uh, again, with public safety, we look for experience. We actually really hunt for experience to learn from. And it, when you do the searches, there's not a lot of people that have been, you know, done uh, operations in public safety with drones. Uh, and the the list is extremely limited when you uh, when you start hunting. Gene Robinson's was the first one that popped up on my search. And this was about, what, seven years ago, Gene? Seven, eight years ago? Yeah. Yeah, at least. Yeah. So I started chasing Gene seven, eight years ago. I started being a groupie of Gene Robinson and uh, knew about him. You too? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So started chasing him back then because, again, uh, public safety, we learn from experience. And when you're the only person uh, in, a, in a list of experienced operators deploying for public safety, you know, Gene Robinson was top of that list. So uh, continued uh, working full-time public safety. Uh, I was accepted into the, the, the CST as their only M-Day. Got experience uh, as a hazmat technician uh, and really started messing with robotics. Deployed a UAS for the first time uh, at Camp Mabry in Austin and uh, showed to the Texas Adjutant General the capabilities of this and was blown away. Everybody was blown away. This is back in 2011, 2012. And from there, just kind of kept rolling. Uh, Hooked up with Gene. We started, uh, I started being an apprentice to Gene, learning, uh, sticking to his side in his, uh, in his pocket, his right-hand man, doing everything that, you know, we needed to do uh, to learn as much as we possibly could. We started, as, the, as we responded uh, to these calls, uh, we, we saw the need for a standardized way of doing this job. So right. Gene has always been training. So he had always been training people. And what we did was I, I, I started some programs uh, within uh, my agency, uh, and I did a, a, a sampling protocol for weapons of mass destruction call-outs. So I, I was very well-versed in setting up uh, a standard of training that was by a textbook, that was by SOPs and SOGs. So linking up with Gene, we developed the, the Eyes Red training program. And all the people we've trained over the years, 
we fine-tune that program based on what's the quickest way, the most efficient and effective way to give someone the skill set they need to actually learn how to fly a UAS, a multi-rotor, a, a fixed wing. So you don't have to rely on the button pushing uh, to fly the bird. You actually have a skill set to fly. And it sets a baseline of, uh, of, of skill sets that someone needs to operate a drone. The great thing about it is the program is progressed through three phases. You actually have to show proficiency, a skill set. Uh, we give you the tools, you practice it, and it uses the same kind of muscle memory skills used for public safety. The same things we, we do in high-tense, high-stress situations, it builds on those blocks so you don't have to think, you react. So we, we mm-hmm. tested this in, in real-world applications where people, the drone does something it's not supposed to do, and you react by, this is a, this is a really, a really uh, crazy uh, philosophy in a term of you take control of the drone and you fly the drone, right? That's right. what not normal most people just push a button and pray to God their drone will return to home and come back. We, we train to a flight standard where it makes you fly the drone. Even when things go wrong, you counter that by flying the drone. And right. we've had success after success with building people to this standard, building professional operators to this standard. And uh, uh, that's kind of where we are now. We're, we, have, we have a program built that works. It's, it's tested. It's tried as true. And now we're trying to get into the whole unconscious and competent uh, frame of mind where people that have been flying button pushes for so long, they've gotten away with it. They might have crashed a couple drones. And we're trying to infiltrate that train of thought that they know they already know what they uh, they think they need to do a mission when they really have no clue of what they don't know. Well, yeah, a lot of people have that problem. Uh, They don't know what they don't know. Um, But beyond just teaching people how to fly, I mean, you know, this is this is one of the things that I have with the. drone humanitarians and and the guys that show up on the side of the road oh you know there's where there's smoke there's fire uh, people show up they they have a drone they're you know uh kind of like a cow in a cornfield looking for something to do oh god yeah, i'm gonna fly the drone over here and i'm gonna i'm gonna get this video and i'm gonna this is a situation and i'm gonna help out and and they have no idea what right. to do so they go get their video i right. use the fire analogy and, uh, you know, they get their video, they look at it on their laptop or their phone, and then they're, like, looking for someone to give it to. Yeah, yeah, I took the video. Well, you know, when? Well, it was two hours ago. Where were you? Well, up the road a few miles, you know. There's no value to that. All you're doing is adding to the confusion to a group that's already taxed. Right. Because you don't know what the process is. And uh, so that's, you know, that's one of the things. I mean, it's great that people want to help, and I'm not deriding people uh, for being a good Samaritan. But, uh, you know, in certain cases, if you don't know what you're doing, um, you know, again, fire or even search and rescue. And if there's uh, manned assets in the air and you're flying around and they have to land or, you know, dump their retardant or whatever, you're, you're not helping. You know, you're, you're creating right. more of a problem. And I know that, uh, you know, that's not even really where you guys are at. But with the training, um, you know, that was another thing. So Gene, 
you know, uh, made a good point during his uh, presentation where he said, this is a response tool. But like any other tool, if someone doesn't know how to use the tool, then you're not really maximizing what you're getting out of it. So I know you guys do training to help, um, you know, let's say get uh, different departments, life safety departments, um, let's say all on the same page to a certain standard and maximize the use of their tools. Maybe you could go into that a little bit. Yeah, you had a great point. Um, what we do, and I just did a presentation to uh, the Austin drone community. Uh, was that last week, I think, Gene? Where we, we yep. talked about just what you brought up, common sense and good judgment. When you respond, when you respond to a public safety incident and you want to, uh, you know, you want to use your technology to aid them, you, you, what happens is you can cause delay in our response uh, in manned aircraft because you aren't in direct communication with the incident command, with the people, the boots on the ground, the public safety uniformed officers that are making those decisions and know what resources are coming in. So... What I directed everybody there, which I direct everybody when I talk to anybody, you want to be a part of a response, a hurricane, anything. You need to get permission and communicate with the, the, the people that are running the show, the incident commanders, the law enforcement that are on ground. Offer your services, offer our phone number, but don't just fly and don't just interject yourself into the response thanking your help because – if you aren't in the know, if you aren't part of the briefing, if you aren't part of the decision-making of what assets are coming in, you will ground manned aviation and public safety drone operations. When we deployed to Hurricane Harvey, we were grounded by not only uh, manned aviation over and over again, and we were doing everything right and had uh, NOTAM in place and uh, emergency COAs in place in between the manned aviation and the drone operators that weren't in communication with incident command that were flying over our areas. And we, we had to be grounded over and over again uh, because of this. So always, if you want to interject, if you want to help, you have to make contact with somebody. You have to make contact with the incident commanders, officials on the ground. Let them know that you're available, and if they need you, they will plug you in. Don't self-deploy. Right. Well, and, it's you know, one effort. thing. Yeah, and, and one thing that I wanted to to make clear is that you know people are going to ask, you know, well, why does a drone flying around ground another drone flying around? Because here's the deal: we set up, we got all the paperwork in place, we talked to all the officials, and they gave us a task to do. We mm -hmm. go out there, and if we see another drone flying around, zooming all over the place, and they're they're, uh, you know, coming close to uh, the, the assets that we're trying to deal with, and they, they uh, interfere with manned aviation, Incident Command is going to call us up and say, hey, you guys are screwing up. What are you doing over there? And only thing we can say is, hey, it's not us. So right, right. that's why we have to ground so that we can go out there and find these people and say, you know what, you're not authorized because we would know about you if you were. So we have to get down, we have to report to our incident command that we have an uncooperative aircraft in the area so that they know 
which means it stops everything, and we have to go and find out who's flying the uncooperative aircraft, and we delay getting aid to people. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. Yeah, so you're you're uh, actually slowing, putting the brake on the wheel there uh, by being unauthorized. And again, as you kind of was saying before, it's like, you know, you're not, I mean, you want to be a humanitarian or, you know, good Samaritan, but you're really being an uh, asshat, for lack of a better yeah. uh, term. Exactly right. And the, the other part of that is we, we had several uh, drone operators uh, deploy during floods and hurricanes and all these events. There is a different level. And if you don't have a specific mission, and what are you actually doing? You're, you're flying around taking pictures. Again, we have a standard of how our product, our, our, our return product is giving to the instant command. Based on the mission and the end product, what we're trying to do with that data, that there's a requirement, and a requirement to not only document uh, the flight path of the drone, what's been searched, uh, this, as Gene calls it, squinting. If your job is to look for hazardous materials, bodies, uh, or people need to be rescued, what's your qualification to, to look at those images and, and, and actually find what you're looking for? And we realize, based on you know, our, our experience and what's happening in the real world, that not everybody is trained to squint, to uh, analyze yeah. those images, and to find what they're looking for. That is an art. You know, in, in Bomb Squad, we looked at uh, x-rays, and you had to have a skill set and over time experience to pick out the components of an explosive, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it all looks like electronics. So the same thing comes in, uh, comes in play when you're looking at an image from a drone. And it's not just looking for that little kid, you know, that sticks out in a photograph. You're looking for trace evidence. You're looking for signs that are leading you to a direction to continue your investigation. That is right. an art. And in our program, we've developed that art into an analysis. And we get you certified, and you go through these techniques, and you actually deploy through scenarios and learn the techniques of squinting to make sure when you are deployed, you not only fly the drone correctly, but you can actually find what you're looking for, which without that part of uh, the puzzle, you're useless as a drone operator. Right. Well, there's a, there's a say, process to find the needle in the haystack. And it's the same, you know, after I, tra- I trained people to uh, collect um, ISR and, you know, some of the, some of these, let's say, faraway lands. And, uh, you know, the, the other thing is, is, you know, even a video or picture or whatever, there's, there's certain levels of, let's say, Intelligence you could gather from it. A picture, yes, is worth a thousand words, but a picture with a that's uh, geo-referenced is worth maybe ten thousand words, and then something that's geo-referenced and has a timestamp is probably worth you know fifteen thousand words or whatever. But the the more information that you have with the uh, imagery or video, and then if you plug all of that into a process, now we're talking. If you just to take a pictures willy nilly and you don't know where you're at or what you're doing or you're not following a process, um, it's pretty much uh, worthless, in my estimation. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, I mean that's that's part of the training of the process. 
I, I see a lot of, um, and I don't really want to out anyone at this at the deal that Gene was talking about, but Gene did ask, and I was showing him how, how many people were using drones already, and there were a lot of folks. Um, I talk to folks all the time, you know, uh, all right, great, you know, what's your drone program? Well, we got our drones, you know. Okay, well, how are you employing them? <laughs> well, we're still kind of working on that, you know. It's like getting the drone and buying the drone is the cheap and easy part. And then when it comes to training, and I've, I've realized this even in the, uh, let's say, the commercial world or whatever. I mean, I'm starting a new class, and uh, nobody's really wild about going to get the license. And, and really, to be honest, I joke about, I don't, the Part 107 license, the only way they could make it easier is a prize and a sugary box of breakfast cereal or maybe Cracker Jacks, <laughs> you know, or something else. But oh, God, that's Absolutely. so hard. Well, it's not really hard if, uh, you know, the FAA was enforcing their program uh, that they keep saying they keep hand-wringing for. God, how long have they been wringing their hands, Gene? Uh, Ten years. Or longer. At least. Uh, yeah, I, I would say they've been wringing their hands for at least a good 15 or so. But anyway, um, you know, people are, they just think you go buy this thing, it's kind of a toy or a consumer electronic, and you go out there and you just start using it and you'll figure it out. Uh, it's like anything else. You know, you buy something, um, you don't really understand how to maximize what there is there. So, for, for people that have careers uh, in government, my thing with it is, you know, you embarrass your superiors, and usually uh, the rule is is about, like, you know, stuff runs downhill. So uh, why would you want to embarrass your superiors with a program, um, you know, where, where there's, uh, let's say, resources available to you to learn or get trained? I mean, uh, they do that with... You know, okay, so, you know, John, you were saying you did the uh, radiological, biological, chemical weapon. I mean, they didn't just say, here's the sniffer, John. Have a nice day. See you later. <laughs> right. There's a great story. There's a great story we taught, we, we tell, uh, Patrick. We uh, did a presentation for a large agency, a very large agency in Texas. And when we did our presentation, a lot of guys were shaking their head up and down, okay? And we go through our presentation saying, okay, what's worked and what hasn't worked? We're probably one of the only companies that have been there long enough to actually interview and talk to departments across the U.S. and, and talk about their programs, the successful programs and the unsuccessful programs, okay? And when we did that, we gained a lot of knowledge about what worked and what different working throughout regions. So we were going through this presentation, and they're sh shaking their head, shaking their head. And by the time we get done, we're like, uh, okay, you guys were agreeing to everything. And they said, it's, it's funny, John. You basically said all the stuff that we did, and we learned that to not do that. One example <laughs> was our fire department uh, bought two drones. Didn't do much research. They had a very slick salesman come in and said, this is the uh, end-all, beat-all drone. This can do everything you want. And they went through a two-day school because you can learn everything you need to do how to buy a fly drone in two days, right? They went through a two-day yeah. school. And then the third day, they set up a big conference, uh, uh, a PR thing with all the media come out. They lined up these two drones. They videoed them. And they said, we're going to take, take one off and show you how it flies. They launched uh -oh. the drone. The drone took off about two feet, flipped upside down, and crashed. 
okay? So they said, this is okay. This is okay because that's why they sold us two because just for this kind of mid-pat, they told us this would happen. And they, they flew the other drone, and they destroyed. They spent almost $60,000 for these two drones. One was completely destroyed, and then they have the, the second one. Again, they were told that you're going to crash these drones. From the very beginning, uh, most manufacturers, and this is, what, this is why we teach our program, and we're not sponsored by any manufacturer, is because we teach a skill set that you learn how to fly the drone and not crash the drone. We've been flying right. drones, Gene. How, how many drones do we have? We've been flying drones uh, we purchased you know, five, six years ago. And they're still yeah. operational. And they have training. Yeah, retired. we're still not. Yeah, we're still not crashing them. We're still not tearing them up because we stick to the program and we do all the steps that are required. And it, it just it flat works, guys. You know, it, I, I don't know any other way to say it that to make people believe that if you go through all the proper steps, there is no that, that aircraft will tell you when it's sick. Exactly. Well, it, it'll tell you know, itself. This is a deal that you're uh, that you're you know. Another point that I tell people that a lot of people don't look at drones as aircraft, you know, and I don't think going to the consumer electronics show is helping anybody out. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to say they're aircraft and you're trying to regulate them as aircraft, showing up at the consumer electronics show to talk about drones is, I think is counterproductive. Um, Cause the other thing with it is, you know, we talk about a culture of safety and in aviation. I, I'll tell you right now, if I were to crash one of my uh, drones um, I would that that thing would always be suspect. There could be a, a crack in the soldering. Um, there could be some sort of defect, maybe a broken uh, screw base or something. I would never trust that drone um, like I did before. They are uh, they do operate in a 3D environment. You know, physics always wins. Uh, the other thing with that is, you know, again, you know, people downplay it. I, I, there's, there's other schools that teach, you know, drone flying, and they have people, or let's say for law enforcement, and they have them fly through PVC gates. I, I just, I, I blow a cork, man. I'm just like, so, okay, now you tell them that they know how to fly drones, and you're just going to, they're going to go out there and learn on the job when people's lives are at risk. It's just, Absolutely. man, that pisses me off. You know, it's just like, uh, yeah. it's, it, it's stupid. So the same thing, I mean, even if you were, uh, let's say, you know, you had a car, you were a firefighter or law enforcement or whatever, I mean, they, they train you how to drive the vehicles, you know. You crash the vehicle, you know, <laughs> I didn't get training and I crashed the vehicle. I mean, it would be unacceptable. Guns, other equipment, sniffers, uh, you know, I was out on a radiological thing, you know, I, I, they, they have equipment. They have protocols, all the rest of the stuff. You don't just show up to some event like, a, you know, there's a radiological event. You just show, all right, now let's get to brief. What are we doing this morning? You know, I mean, as you've been trained, you, you really have a uh, short window of exposure on something like that. Um, you know, it was, a, it was the first exercise that I'd been to, the radiological thing. And I just say that, uh, eh. Doesn't look good. I'm sure the uh, biological and chemical is not is even worse. Well, I don't know. It's probably on par. You've probably been on a few of those training uh, exercises, right, John? Yes, sir. It's it's not fun. Uh, what we currently do and uh, is this technology 
uh, will save a lot of time, money, and lives uh, when it's implemented. And it, it's, it's still some time away from being implemented in even those kind of dangerous environments. You know, the dirty, dangerous, and dull is what a drone technology shines for deployment at. Well, you know, even that, dealing with the, the, the government on that deal, I was like, so is any of this stuff, anybody, you know, flying any of these uh, radiological sniffers on a drone? No, you know, we're working on smaller systems. It's like, well, you know, they're all, there are other drones besides just the white quadcopter. You know, did you know that? Oh, really? So, you know, <laughs> yeah. there, there, it's, you know, again, it's the right tool for the job. So, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people in law enforcement are cavalier about drones. You see people flying them on YouTube, and it looks like it's a breeze or whatever else. Um, but but like I said, it's a tool. You need to be – you need training. And I know you guys offer some different training, and I'm going to let you guys pet the pooch here a little bit. Um, you you want to talk about the, uh, you know, the let's say the, the training menu that's, that's offered. Absolutely. Our primary two courses are the decision makers course, which we call the 30,000 foot overview. And we, we target uh, public safety administrators, whether you're a decision maker, a champion, a supervisor, this is anywhere from a one to three day course based on what level uh, you are going to be responsible for uh, running a program. And we show them, we actually go through the entire program. That's why it's called the 30,000 overview. We, we go through the entire scope so from, from team selection all the way into actually setting up a deployment for public safety. And it gives them exposure to holy smokes. And, and we always have those administrators leave thinking, man, I had no idea. This is an aviation program. And right. to limit your liability, you have to treat it like an aviation program. You, your flight checks, your documentation, your, your assessments for flight locations, your paperwork, uh, your ODs, we call them operational documents, and your compliance documents. There's a lot there that is very difficult to do uh, or make up on your own. And we give them an outline at that point. We can, they can walk away from that program and say, hey, you know, I'm going to start this own program because now I have an outline. There's a lot of work that goes, uh, goes along with it. But we also say, okay, then we have our full certification program, which is the Eyes Overhead Certification Program. That program is stretched out over three months. Now, it's not constant three months of operation. It's 20 hours in phase one followed up with 20 hours of logged in flight time with techniques that we're going to give you that you have to master. And then on phase two, you come back, you have 30 days to master those techniques and they're logged in on your logbook and that's checked. You come back for phase two, we test you out. You have to show a level of proficiency to pass to phase two. So once you test out uh, of this phase one uh, skill set, and the whole program is a building block. So phase two builds, or phase one builds on phase two operations. Phase two, we teach you, again, it's another 20 hours of instruction and flight training. Then you get another 20 hours of logged flight time that you have 30 days to complete. We, again, for phase three, we test you out on phase two uh, skills and before you can move on. 
we have sometimes some uh, some people go through remedial training. Uh, they have some difficulties, uh, but most of the time uh, we can get by with that amount of flight time. And everybody says, why 20 hours? We've actually tried doing this whole program, the three phases, in 30 days. We've tried to do it in two months. Why we say three months is because it gives the, uh, the student enough time to actually practice and log in those flight times between each phase. So once they get through that phase two, that's their last really uh, skill set training. There they have the techniques and the ability to fly that drone safely uh, using muscle memory skills, emergency procedures. So phase three is all scenarios. We hit them with a procedure of deployment. We show them how to do a site assessment. Look for those hazards that are going to uh, uh, cause problems when you're flight operation. And then to set up a, a safe flight line and to communicate, get a mission, and fly that mission. And we put them through all the scenarios. And I think this is where Gene really loves being a part of the training because he gets to do all the things that had, has happened to him over the years as the angry instant commander, the pissed off cop, uh, the angry uh, uh, client that wants their, 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 their item found and located. And he gets to be the, uh, the FAA inspector. He gets to be the flight line uh, guru that wants to go out there and, and stick his nose and tell these, uh, these guys are doing something wrong. So we throw in every single scenario, bad scenario, that we that we've experienced uh, through our 10 years of doing this. And we put those teams through hell because <laughs> we know you can fly through hell. You can fly through the, the incidents that's required for public safety. And out of all the classes we put through, this is the most fun, the most challenging. Uh, all of our public safety professionals absolutely love this. And we've developed it, expanded on it, we're doing more with seminition rounds to, uh, for the law enforcement to actually learn how to uh, protect their flight teams uh, in a scenario as, with a tactical environment. Uh, we've stepped it up, and again, we learn every time we do this training based on what's happening in the real world. Everything is, is developed and redesigned to challenge every single one of those operators because I want to make sure – if one of those cops, firefighters, EMTs is responding shoulder to shoulder with me on a call out, uh, I, I can trust that he's going to be able to perform that mission, that life-saving mission, that information-gathering mission that's going to give the right information to a cop, a firefighter that will save a life. Because I trained right. him, so I, I'm going to make sure they can perform. Right. Well, I mean, you covered a lot of territory there, and there's a couple of things that I wanted to touch on touch on one the drone flying and intelligence gathering or information gathering is a perishable skill said that from like day one it was one of the Absolutely. complaints that i had in the uh, 2007 shutdown when they were like well you know the updates and one day you'll be able to get back to this yes you are correct one day i will be able to get back to this but <laughs> it's a perishable skill and i will have to relearn what the current trends are and rebuy all of all of the uh technology and all the rest of that stuff and compete with people who've been doing it for all those years illegally, whatever else. Yep. So uh, that's one thing. It is a perishable skill. The other thing I wanted to mention was 
you know, you talked about some of the pitfalls and, and for the decision maker. Um, I'm in Sacramento, and Sacramento was actually one of the first police departments to adopt drones. Uh, do you remember that, Gene? I think I want to say it was back I in do, 2008. I and they rolled it out, and they went to the newspaper, and, oh, we got drones, and they had it down there at the Capitol Park and all the rest of that stuff. And then somebody was like, um, you do know that's illegal, right? Uh, no. Surprise, surprise. So, yeah, they spent probably, I don't know, anywhere from fifty dollars to $100,000 on drones in a program and, and all the rest of they had. They had some, and this is this is where the experience comes in. It was some guy who was an IT uh, consultant talked him into drones and uh, bought the stuff and, and built them a fixed wing system and blah blah blah. Anyway, it was a debacle. Every every about once a year, once every other couple of years, I ask you know like Officer Nancy, hey, how's the drone program coming along? It's still a very sore subject with the Sacramento Police Department. <laughs> Because they they did something they didn't understand the all the laws and, and ramifications of it and they rolled out and they looked uh, very foolish. So this is another thing. Even with the yeah. drone thing, I'm sure you guys go and tell these people um, some of the pitfalls of the equipment. I mean, I've I've been talking to people and let's just say some of the events that have been in the news. Um, let's say that would involve law enforcement. Uh, law enforcement that have bought certain manufacturers drones cannot fly them in in certain areas and at certain incidences or instances uh, or incidents without getting permission from someone in China. I think I, I, I don't <laughs> believe that selling uh, law enforcement and first responders um, this type of equipment without, you know, being frank and honest about the limitations is uh, I don't want to say it's criminal, but it's, it's, it's not good business practice. I think it's very bad business well, practice. It, it goes Go even further than that, Patrick, because when you get right down to it, uh, you know, for years we have gone on these searches and we've said, you know, hey, FAA, I'm going to go on these searches, and they'll say, okay, we'll process your COA and it'll be 48 hours. You know, we'll get it to you or, or 10 days or whatever. And we have been trying to squeeze that time frame down. And mm-hmm. one of the things that, that we are advocating and that we are, we are discussing with a, a bunch of other agencies out there is that public safety should get a buy on a lot of this stuff that everybody else has to adhere to simply because we operate under exigent circumstances. Right. And the, the best example that I can use is that any incident commander – based on on the the magnitude of the incident, can call for TFR, right? Temporary flight restriction. Mm -hmm. So if they have that, then they maintain control of the airspace. They get to decide who gets to fly in it. They get to decide what gets to fly in it. And they keep up with that. So basically what that does is that transfers responsibility from the FAA onto the incident command, which you know what? Good with it. Everybody is good with it. We need to be able to look at public safety from that attitude and say, you know what, if you guys deem that it's in the best interest of the public and the safest operation to perform, then the FAA ought to give you a buy on that one. And we're working on that, and there is some movement. And I think before the end of the day, when it's all said, 
is that public safety will end up getting a blanket certificate of authorization, and it'll start getting more and more lenient. You know, like we've had to do baby steps. You know, we're taking little creepy crawly steps here on this one because it's been, you know, 12, 14 years. But I think that we'll end up getting that public safety certificate of authorization eventually. And uh, then the other thing with manufacturers doing the no-fly zones and that sort of thing, that's got to stop. That has got to go away for any real consideration for an unmanned aircraft to be used in a public safety environment. That's just got to happen. Well, if you really want to, you you you, know. Go ahead. Patrick, you you brought up a a great point about getting the right information to public safety. When when we first make contact with an agency wanting to deploy drones, we ask them where they're at in their program, and it's, it's usually all over the place. We love the ones that say we have done nothing. Uh, we've reached out to you because you are the leaders in public safety uh, operations and training, and we want to have you partner with us. That's where we would love to help because we start out from the very beginning. You have to have a PIO package. You have to be transparent in your deployment of this technology and transparency not only of where you're at in your research, where you're at in your training, where you're at in your deployment, SOPs, SOGs, and the tracking. We offer a tracking package that every agency can, can put on their website and see every single time that drone is deployed, where it's deployed, and the mission if it's a search and rescue mission, you know, we can have it delayed if it's a search warrant they're, they're deploying for uh, Overwatch. But the transparency is huge. Nine, 90, probably 90% of all the programs that started out with public safety, they, they were failed by lack of transparency to their public. What, what we always tell our, our clients, our public safety clients is, if you don't feel those blanks, the public are going to feel the blanks of what you're going to deploy drone with the worst possible scenario. They are mm. going to think of the worst things that you're looking for. You're going to deploy drones for for public safety, and that's what they're going to think, and they're going to run with that. So you have to fill the blanks. You have to give them what you're going to deploy it for, the mission scope. The other part of that is buying equipment. Okay, We never, never tell them to buy equipment. We identify their mission scope. We identify what equipment will best do that mission scope, and then we'll give them options to help them locate that equipment for the best price. So with, with Drone Pilot, we're, we, we're all about standing up the program, and Gene calls it the press easy button, right? We want to make it as easy as possible for the public safety agency to push that easy button, and everything's done for them. Because we've, we've done this, we've, we've created this wheel. We're just giving this wheel to every agency that wants to do the program. We have a rollout outline in a presentation. So it shows them under a phased rollout to every agency that wants to start a program. And it, and it gives them a how to actually go about starting a program. You know, do you, you have to get buy-in from not only your chain of command, but your, your government, your commissioners, your city council. You've got to roll in other agencies or other uh, departments within that agency, like your utilities departments, your mapping departments. They're going to utilize this technology as well. So why not you all be under the same page with training uh, and equipment need 
so where you guys don't make this make mistakes that will cost you a lot of money and time, but then you also can have a commonality in communication. So when you have to scale up for a major disaster, all these different organizations and drone pilots can come together and work seamlessly together to complete the same. Everybody's looking for a data, right? Everybody's looking for the same data on a, on a major incident. So if they all work together, they can integrate their flight teams to complete tasks. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. You did, again, some more good points. But, uh, you know, the, the, open, the openness and honesty thing, I mean, that's where I got my Twitter handle, the drone dealer. I did the uh, Berkeley Drone Town Hall meeting, and uh, that was that was something that you could have probably turned into a sitcom um, where, you know, people were like, there he is, man. There's the drone dealer. I'm like, drone dealer's here. Where is he? (laughs) But it was me. And, uh, you know, we had the pot smoke wafting in the window, the whole thing. It was off the hook. But even after that, talking to people about what drones could really do at the end, I had people that were like staunch anti-droners come up and go, wow, you know, I didn't know you could, you know, do with some of the things that you were talking about. So, um, you know, I, I think that's important. There's important, uh, especially like in, in today's, you know, 24-hour news cycle world, why would you want to get in any trouble? Why would you want any controversy? You know, there's there's people you could go yeah. to that have already done it. So why, you know, reinvent the wheel of suffering, as I like to call it? Anyway, we're going to have to wrap it up because the meter's running, literally out there on the street and I don't want a, a big fat ticket. I don't want to pay for the stadium. So um, I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, John, it was good having you on. It was good, you know, uh, getting your viewpoint on this. We get Gene's uh, viewpoint all the time, but thank you, sir, for coming on. Pleasure, Patrick. Pleasure. Anytime. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing you guys again in the future here. Gene, as always, you know, what can I say, buddy? Oh, and I've, you've got a, uh, you've gotten an upgrade. You know, I used to say that uh, you were the drone SAR expert, but now I upgraded you this morning to you are the drone search and rescue master drone search and rescue guy. Uh-huh. Ah, awesome. ah. You like okay. that? So, um, I, you know, I, I'm I'm working toward Obi Wan. You know, I want to be that master. <laughs> well, you know, we'll just all we got to do is get you the robe. You know. And you're 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 set yeah, to go. Yeah, no, I I I uh, I I say that without reservation, sir. Well, I appreciate that. We just uh, we're out here learning. That's all I can say. We we we're out here learning, and every every mission is uh, is a lesson. All right. Well, we'll leave it there, everyone. Till next time. Uh, you know, have a have a good one. And uh, what do you always say? There's like, Gene, about keeping Keep it out of the. <laughs> Keep the air speed up. All right, speed up, the nose out of the alfalfa. <laughs> exactly. All right, that'll do it. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.